welcome to Release the Kraken, socio-political commentary by an average Joe, property of Octopod Publications. Hello everyone and welcome to this inaugural episode of Release the Kraken. Before we get started on today's content, you should be asking yourself, why would I listen to this guy and why is he doing this podcast? You basically listen to someone who is tired of having stuff interpreted for them. When you hear a lot of people reviewing books or prose by other authors, uh, you have to listen to them tell you what it means. Well, in this instance, I made it a point to start reading a lot of these books myself. In a word, I'm going to read so you don't have to. Now, don't get me wrong. The irony of that is not lost on me. I'm now seeking to provide you the service that I found offensive because I didn't want someone interpreting something for me. I get it. I'm not telling you not to read it. I'm just giving you an idea what you might find if you read the two to three hundred pages of most of these tomes that are put out commercially now. I'm going to try and stay away from the current events type of analysis that you hear every day on talk radio because, frankly, I'm an amateur. Professionals do it better. Uh, they have more access to people that are doing research for them. And the on-air personalities like Beck, Bongino, Mark Levin, Prager, Dana Lash, and others I'm sure I'm forgetting, will likely do it better and in a more timely fashion than I will. And the other simple answer is just I needed an outlet for a lot of the incoming information that we had. Uh, I'm driving my wife crazy with political commentary, so now my goal is to drive you crazy with political commentary. So, without further ado, let's get into today's show. Today's segment will focus on the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. So first, a little background. Uh, why choose that book? In a world where you hear uh, a lot about critical race theory recently, uh, this, this book by Dr. Kendi um, seems to be one of the most quoted references for what is critical race theory. Uh, the other possibility that was in that realm was White Fragility by uh, Robin D'Angelo, but uh, I opted to pass on that because Dr. Kendi appears uh, more frequently on a lot of the, the talk shows and uh, a newscasts, so he's kind of become the face of critical race theory, whether you intended it or not, um, based on this book. Uh, Dr. Kendi uh, is a professor at Boston University. He is the director of the Center of Anti-Racist Research. Um, I just want to say up front that this is not meant to uh, attack him personally or demean the subject. My um, stand on where racism is, is it's foolish to deny that racism still exists in the country that we live in today. There's knuckleheads out there all over. But do I think our country is systemically racist and, and uh, keeping people down by an overt cons conspiracy of those with less melanin? No, I don't, I don't believe that for a second. So I wanted to delve a little deeper into, uh, into what he's saying in this book. Something interesting happened a few weeks ago uh, when Dr. Kendi was in a speaking engagement. One of the reporters asked him to define, uh, you know, 
racism in his terms. And I, and I having read the book, I knew where he was going to go uh, with this. And he basically quoted the same thing from the definitions uh, chapter in his book. For the most part, to decide where he's coming from, you don't need to read any further than the chapter on definitions, because uh, it starts out with racist and anti-racist right in the beginning. Racist is, and I quote, one who is supporting a racist policy through their actions or inactions or expressing a racist idea. Uh, he answered the question uh, to that reporter in essentially the same manner, which brought an actual audible laugh from the crowd, uh, which I found, I found a little shocking, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, it really brings the idea that I think since fifth grade I was taught that you don't find, define a term with the term because you've added no content to the listener, what they've done. And you can make the claim that what he says is racism is racist doing racisty things. Now, there's two reasons for that, and I don't think it's be Number one, uh, he hasn't given it a great deal of thought, which I doubt is the case. And number two, he's defining it so loosely that racism means what I want it to mean uh, at any given time. But what he's really created is a circular definition, you know, one that uses the term that's being defined by the term. Uh, in a sense, you could say it's a tautology, which is a new word I learned looking this up, which is saying the same thing twice with the different words and generally considered to be a fault of style or a circular definition. Um, his definition for anti-racist is, is similarly, similarly circular, one who is supporting an anti-racist policy through their actions or inactions expressing anti-racist idea. He goes on further in the chapter to say racist versus anti-racist. There is no such thing as being a non-racist. You cannot be not racist. It's not enough to say, I don't do racist things. Um, and this is a direct quote where he says, a racist policy, which is one of the things that he says in the definition, a racist policy is any measure that produces or sustains racial inequity between racial groups an anti-racist policy is any measure that produces or sustains racial equity between groups. Um, the words become important here. You'll notice a definite avoiding of the word equality. Equity is the word that's used. It's become the buzzword for, um, you know, equality uh, of outcomes. Equality to me, means equality of opportunity. Everyone has the same chance going in. Everyone has the same opportunity. Equity means everybody winds up in the same place. Um, and to do that, what he says, and this is another direct quote, if discrimination is creating equity, then it is anti-racist. If discrimination is creating inequity, then it's racist. And this really gets down to the premise of what he's saying is that uh, equity is the goal, not equality, and discrimination is fine if the right people, the supposed oppressors, are being affected for the benefit of the oppressed. So now, I was always taught that discrimination in and of itself is a bad thing and is a hallmark of racism. So 
So it really makes me uncomfortable with the whole tenor of the book and what he's trying to achieve here and what possible solutions he would propose later on in the book itself. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that later because I found uh, his proposed solution uh, more than a little disturbing. But first, we have to talk about his use of, of uh, capitalism and class. Upon reading his chapter on class, I found it a somewhat difficult read. You can see that most of, many of his arguments of inequity uh, could easily be argued as being class-based, not race-based. When I reread the chapter, I did a thought experiment that, with the chapter and replaced white with rich. If you read it that way, it makes much broader sense in a, in a societal uh, standpoint in that rich people want to stay rich regardless of their skin, skin color. Rich people did not get rich by giving their money to other people or governments exclusively. The whole uh, conversation about graduated tax systems and the Laffer curve, that's a different episode entirely. But you get the gist. That's when it occurred to me that he's merely replaced consciously or subconsciously the struggle of class as the struggle of race. It looks very Marxist to me. Marx, writing his uh, Communist Manifesto, he and Engels in the mid eighteen mid uh, excuse me nineteenth century, mid eighteen hundreds, had a very well defined class system. There were huge gaps between the haves and have-nots. Wealthy landowners, the people who worked on them, industrial revolution just taking off, workers being exploited. There was very wealthy and very not wealthy, and it was easy to see who were the workers and who were his bourgeoisie. There was very little mobility uh, between the classes. In modern Western society, a capitalist society, there is a great deal of mobility and a large middle class. Marx never counted on a large and mobile middle class. People move from within classes uh, fairly rapidly. Rich people become poor, poor people become rich, middle class people can become very wealthy, and wealthy people can squander their wealth rather quickly. We call them lottery winners. So you see then that socialism becomes a rather tough sell in a Western society that has a great deal of class mobility. I'm going to quote a couple of musicians here. Uh, John Lennon said in Revolution, you ain't going to make it with anyone anyhow carrying pictures of Chairman Mao. He was right. Also, Frank Zappa was quoted once as saying, communism generally doesn't work well because people like to own stuff. Both of them were right. So how do you now create a, an aggrieved class for this wealth redistribution by the enlightened elite? If you substitute class with race, you create an indelible class structure that regardless of where people move within it, 
they're still defined by that physical characteristic. You place them into a box that they can't extricate themselves from, uh, no matter how hard they work, how successful they are, or how much they've had benefit from the self-appointed benefactors of the oppressed that are seeking to level the playing field to their anti-racist policies. Which is an excellent segue into the only portion of the book that he devotes to any actual solutions to racism in the country today. Uh, I think the book clocks in at just north of 300 pages, and it's mostly you know, about defining what racism is and who the aggrieved groups are. But at only one brief point does he offer a potential solution, and it's frighteningly totalitarian. His idea for a solution is the Department of Anti-Racism. This is a direct quote from the book. To fix the original sin of racism, Americans should pass an anti-racist amendment to the U.S. Constitution that enshrines two guiding anti-racist principles. Racial inequity is evident of racist policy, and the different racial groups are equal. The amendment would make unconstitutional racial inequity over a certain threshold, as well as racist ideas by public officials with racist ideas and public officials clearly defined, end quote. Well, number one, clearly defined by whom? Uh, and number two, I think the reason that he frames it in terms of a uh, constitutional amendment is because clearly what he's proposing as a constitution that is written now is unconstitutional. Based on the specificity of his previous uh, definitions of racist, anti-racist, and policy, I'm dubious that racist idea and public official will be defined all that clearly to begin with. So how is this constitutional amendment enforced? Well, that would be by the Department of Anti-Racism. Quoting from, directly from the book, the anti-racist amendment would establish and permanently fund the Department of Anti-Racism, the DOA, comprised of formally trained experts on racism and no political appointees. The DOA would be responsible for pre-clearing all local, state, and federal public policy to ensure they won't yield racial inequity, monitor those policies, investigate private racist policies when racial inequity surfaces, and monitor public officials for expressions of racist ideas. The DOA would be empowered with disciplinary tools to wield over and against policymakers and public officials who do not voluntarily change their racist policy and ideas. End quote. So we're going to create a super branch of government that rides herd over the rest of the constitutionally derived branches of government and local and state and private policies for this racial inequity. These formally trained experts are not political appointees, but it doesn't say how they get their job. If they're not appointed and they're not elected, then how does someone rise to be part of this Department of Anti-Racism? Creating a super branch of government that has the power to censor, block legislation, and monitor entities, both public and private, 
that sounds frighteningly dystopian to me, which also means that it's probably highly unlikely. I will credit Dr. Kendi with one thing that he doesn't fall prey to is the paradigm that black people can't be racist because they don't have the power. He goes into great detail at, you know, sometimes at his own expense that he spent time as a anti-black racist himself, you know, criticizing black behavior and black culture when he considers it unproductive. Um, he considers that an act of anti-black racism. But I think this also has kind of a dark underbelly that goes with it, too. If black people don't have the power, minority people don't have the power to make the sweeping changes he describes uh, in his book, that societal transformation that he would desire and the establishment of that department of anti-racism. So whereas that assertion, I believe, is true, I also believe it has a, a dark underbelly that goes along with it. So to begin to wrap things up, I think to myself, uh, what would be the result if I were have to have a conversation with Professor Kendi? I don't think it would last very long because he would <clears throat> quickly dismiss me as a racist because I support racist ideas. You know, as, as I mentioned earlier in his definition, I'm a racist doing racisty things because I disagree with him. But I believe his grounds for that would be things that I would stand behind. Number one, I don't support discrimination in any form. Discrimination is the hallmark of racism. You don't stop racism with more racism. Number two, I do believe in capitalism. I do believe it's a, a system that's elevated more people out of uh, poverty than any other system in the world and created a thriving culture that why would so many people seek to emigrate to the United States if it was a horrible place to be? I also have a problem with the way we define being poor in the United States. If you're poor in the United States, you're likely to have at least one flat screen and a PC and one if not two vehicles. Uh, that's not poor in sub-Saharan Africa where you wonder where your next meal is coming from. And capitalism is responsible for that. So his conjoined twins of capitalism and racism, I think, are an immense straw man. I don't favor drawing indelible lines between races or cultures. You don't have to remain in the race box. You can be whatever you want to be in this, in this country. Just don't let anyone tell you you can't. And last but not least, when you treat people with equal respect, regardless of their appearance and based on the way they treat you, uh, dare I say the content of their character, things kind of have a way of working themselves out. I'll conclude with a quote from uh, Dr. Uh, Vadi Balkam and uh, his New York Post column on the 15th of May. He uh, said, One dogma of this new religion is that America constantly needs to have a conversation about race. But Americans have been talking about race since at least the 1860s. Nobody is trying to avoid talking about race, but many are trying to control what is said.
The elites of our society urge us to elevate black voices, but it's important to understand what they mean. They don't want to elevate all black voices, but only those who subscribe to the creed of critical race theory. If you don't avow that our society is infected with systemic racism, white supremacy, white privilege, and white fragility are the root of all the problems black people face, then you are a heretic, and your consciousness is white, therefore oppressive, no matter how black your skin may be. Look no further than, than Clarence Thomas or, or Tim Scott for how that works. All of the things that were said about uh, Tim Scott's uh, response to the State of the Union. Uh, I won't elaborate on that here. Once again, that could be the content for another podcast. But I don't think <clears throat> that people saying, uh, you know, Oh, critical race theory is not racism and it's just you know we have to teach former history to understand how how prevalent racism is and you know covering up for the fact that this is trying to be forced into curricula uh, either by directly by title critical race theory or some other name one one school board tried to when they said they were doing CRT training they tried to change boats in midstream and say it was culturally relevant training you're not fooling anybody the fact is in in their own words in in the book that's kind of you know in the public eye come to define what critical race theory is it's that critical racism says discrimination is okay puts people in racial boxes and tells you that you know if you are not if you are one of the groups labeled oppressor you are there is no repentance and you are indelibly bad and it is up to you to pay reparations to everyone else. Uh, I'm saving you, I hope, 300 pages of reading to do that. But, like I said earlier, don't take my word for it. Form your own opinion. And, frankly, I hope someone proves me wrong. Because it's a pretty bleak picture of, uh, of American society. Alright, folks. Uh, that concludes my discussion of uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram Kendi. Look for future podcasts. Uh, they should be public, published uh, simultaneously with this one. Uh, my next book that I'm going to review is written by Lieutenant Colonel Matt Lohmeyer. Um, it's called uh, Irreversible Revolution, and it concerns the uh, creeping of Marxism into the uh, modern American military. Uh, about two-thirds of the way through that book, Hope to have that podcast done very, very soon. Thank you for listening, and this is The Kraken signing off for Octopod Publications. Thank you for listening to Release the Kraken, property of Octopod Publications.